Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Right now, the fundamental change that's happening is the augmentation of like human capital in a way that we haven't ever really imagined. The same way factories augmented and basically changed how manual labor is done. It hasn't done away with manual labors completely. Like that's not what happened, right? We just got augmented. So we're able to feed more people. People don't starve to death. When I was growing up, there was, there was actual famines and I watched people starve to death. It's the most horrible feeling in the world. And everybody was saying about that in 20 to 30 years, like there would be mass starvations across the world. The reason that didn't happen is because as much as we hate the big farming equipment, that saved us right? The technology really saved us. It really unlocked potential in humanity that allowed us to do more mental things. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ahmed, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. I have been really looking forward to this conversation as somebody who is kind of obsessed with all things AI at this point. And I know that you are the founder of an AI startup. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you ended up making with your life and your career? Um. Boy, that's actually a more loaded question than you realize. <laughs> so my stepdad <laughs> raised me and he was, uh, uh, he was, he was a lawyer and he was one of the smartest human beings that I know. He was very, very kind and he was a great leader. Um, my mom, she was pretty much a homemaker. She tried a whole bunch of different things, uh, in Bangladesh and, uh, she taught me a lot as well, just about perseverance and, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I got to know, my dad for just like three months of my entire life. Um, and actually maybe less than that. Uh, and what I did realize is another part of me, which is, uh, uh, I can be a tough guy to deal with. <laughs> yeah. And I think that part, that part is inherited. Um, but yeah, w- with my dad, with my, uh, so I'll, I'll refer to my stepdad, but you know, I, I call him dad. My dad was a lawyer who was also a mathematician. He was amazing at math, amazing at chess. And he was always learning. So he was an autodidact. Um, 
So I actually got to clerk for him. And now that we have these language models and we think about linguistics more, um, growing up, I was really into painting, drawing, and engineering. Uh, so I got to share that with, uh, I got to share that with him, which was, which was really special, right? So now you're seeing these, uh, legal AI startups coming out, right? Um, mm-hmm. and I've just been noodling with, uh, a lot of different things in my head. And I think, uh, that's, that's worked out really well for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in retrospect, just having that diversity and that range. Yeah. Were you, uh, raised in Bangladesh? Cause like I, from talking to you, you don't have any hint of an accent. Yeah, uh, I'm good with languages. I speak uh, five different languages. Uh, yes, I grew up in Bangladesh. I moved here when I was 14 um, to to live with my dad. Mm-hmm. Didn't last for very long. Uh, but yeah, I, I grew up in Bangladesh. So I got to see very different cultures. Moved here December of 95. Okay. Well, you know, when people move later in life, I'm always curious about their experience of sort of culture shock and what they found weird, what they found hilarious, what they found interesting coming from where they were raised. Like, I, I remember, because I think when you land in a, a country in South Asia, like India or Bangladesh, the first time, especially if you've never seen it, especially in the 90s, you're walking out of the airport, you're like, holy shit, this is crazy. It's madness. Oh, you know, there's no, it, it's like, like I, I, my cousin and I were talking about this. I was like, you know how I describe India? I was like, I describe it as organized chaos. Um, and I wonder for you, the experience of sort of transitioning both between both. Um, what was the, the, the culture shock like? What were the things that you found ridiculous, funny, hilarious, weird? I actually, so I'm a Milken scholar and Milken, there's about 20 of us every year. And that, that's probably one of the, that's one of, one of the most uh, exclusive elite special groups of people that I'm associated with. And Mike Milken and the Milken Institute picks immigrants, like very, very heavily skews towards immigrants. And I didn't understand why until I realized like all of my fellow Milken scholars have this very similar journey. And one benefit that you get from being an immigrant is you actually get to experience different realities. Today, it may not be as pronounced, but definitely in the 90s, um, it was very pronounced. For example, it's very normal to ask people what they do. Right. Um, and that was one of the things that I found really weird. Like I didn't grow up asking people what they did. That wasn't a big part of their identity. Right. Mm. You might ask like, you know, where they're, where they're from, or you might ask, uh, uh, about their interests, but it just never occurred to me. And it was, it seemed very rude actually <laughs> to ask people, what do you do? Right. Mm. Um, like what's your worth? It's a very, very different culture. Right. Because, uh, growing up, uh, and I didn't really put this together until like an NPR inter- interview many, many years later where they were interviewing another immigrant to London and he was an Indian immigrant. Um, and he was saving this like old steel town. And the interviewer asked him, why are you saving the steel town? You're like very, very Indian, right? He's like, well, when I was growing up, my dad said like, be somebody, do something good for the world, Right. And I realized that that is how I grew up, right? I grew up uh, in Bangladesh uh, admiring Albert Einstein, Subhash Chandra Bose, right? Rabindranath Tagore. Um, and you you don't idolize any of them because they were rich. You don't idolize anyone because they were, um, you know, they, these are people in a very broad spectrum, right? You idolize people because of what they did and the impact that they had on humanity, right? 
Mm-hmm. So the, at least the cultural message that I got growing up was never, you know, get crazy rich and put spinning rims on your Bentley. Um, mm-hmm. stupid things that I did, but, <laughs> but, uh, it was more like, you know, be somebody like, you know, uh, be, be of service, uh, you know, take care of people, be, be remarkable, but not in the same sense, uh, as, uh, the competitor remarkable over here. Um, so it was like, I got to experience two different realities, right? So mm-hmm. in America, uh, you have a certain kind of reality in the Western world, you have a certain kind of reality. And, uh, speaking of language, like you said, like, yeah, you know, I didn't, I, I don't have much of an accent. I speak several different accents of English also. So when I came here, I realized like my English was no good. I couldn't communicate with people. And I actually have different personas in my head, just like in a language model, right? You give mm-hmm. it a persona and you tell it to act a certain way. I realized yeah. you actually have to have different personas. Um, and if you're born in a different country, especially, you know, in a time that's not as homogenized as today, I think you would have to have two completely different personas, uh, when you load that language model up in your head. Um, so you, you get to look at the world in two different ways and you don't think that the world is static. That works out to a really big advantage because you have to ask yourself, what are the things that were good in the Southeast Asian culture versus what are the things that are good in American culture? I'm a, I'm a huge fan of American culture. I identify very much as an American because like the great melting pot, right? Um, but I also identify as a Bangladeshi, as a, you know, as someone of, uh, from Southeast Asia or Desi, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of valuable things in Desi culture as well. And going forward, you realize that you can have a more nuanced view of what the future should look like. Yeah. It could well, look like. It, it, it's funny you say that because um, I did like, I, I don't know if you were one of the millions of people that saw Indian matchmaking, but I was on the show. And, and I remember after the show aired, I wrote this piece um, titled The South Asian Arms Race for Impressive Biodata. But I, I wanted to make sure I presented a, a nuanced perspective uh, on that. And I said, like, you know, for all the things that are bad, which, which is like excessive pressure to achieve at certain levels, there is also a lot of good that comes from those very things. It's like two sides of the same coin where I realized, like, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way, right? Your parents, your parents don't put your report cards on fridges when you get A's. Like, you're an idiot. Why? They, they don't, they only ask why you didn't get an A when you get a B. Um, but I realized what our parents were doing was, you know, in like sort of unconsciously passing on the value of intrinsic motivation. Um, and I, I saw, I was like, wow, no matter what age you are, that door is always open. And that's not the case in other cultures. Uh, so there are both, you know, both sides of the coin here, but I, I wonder for you, like, I, I mean, I'm guessing Bangladeshi sort of cultural narratives about making your way in the world for kids are very similar to Indian kids. Uh, it is very similar, um, in, in some ways, of course, India's, India's vast, right? So the different yeah. regions have different cultures and Bangladesh has a very, well, the Bengali people have a very rich, uh, history and heritage as well, right? Spanning back, uh, uh, over a thousand years. But overall, I think the cultures, uh, permeate. My, my wife is Thai and believe it or not, she has a lot more in similarity to traditional Bengali culture than probably somebody growing up in Bangladesh today. Mm. Um, because whatever that underlying culture is, right, is, uh, it permeates. So. Yeah. One of the things that 
is actually fascinating to watch this whole race for biodata. Um, and this, you know, to me, it's actually really, really odd, uh, probably because I'm older. Um, and probably because what happened in India specifically is this prosperity that came in, right? In Bangladesh, you have it too. This prosperity yeah. that came in that also changed the culture very much. Uh, you have a significantly more Western culture that we've infused and, you know, we've kind of, uh, we've kind of made it our own. And I think, uh, in Southeast Asia, you know, the people have been there for like 5,000 years. There's a reason for it, right? Kind of take the best that comes our way. Um, mm-hmm. Russell, Russell Peters, one of my favorite comedians, right? I think he gets <laughs> yeah. to that. He gets to the heart, the meat of it, right? It's like the, the British come over and they're like, we're taking over. They're like, okay. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, not a very European response, right? It's like, then he goes like, go to London and see who took over. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. 
We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, it's um, really funny that you say that because I I lived in Brazil for about six months and, you know, Brazilians are super liberal and like, you know, way different than India. I was like, man, I'm like, can you imagine how different it would have been if the Portuguese had colonized the world? Like I, I had a friend who said, if you look at Portuguese military history, he's like, you can sum it up like this. He's like, they just went where the w- women were hot and the weather was good. <laughs> oh, uh, but like, I always thought about that. I was oh. like, man, would we have ended up so conservative if the damn British hadn't been the ones to colonize India? Well, actually, I think, um, again, like looking at it with a more longitudinal lens, uh, I think only after I came here, I started studying history and I started studying, uh, you know, sociology. India and the people of Southeast India have had a much bigger impact on global affairs and culture than we might realize. Um, so, like, you know the story of Moses? Kind of. I'm like one of those weirdos where I actually didn't yeah. read the Bible because so, I didn't take so the honors story, English. Like, if you watch, like, uh, the, any of the movies, you'll see, like, the people go, they worship the calf. Huh? There was somebody who was Indian among them. Not just somebody. Yeah. Like, Indians had been trading with Egyptians, with all these other cultures, right? So we've actually had cultural exchange, and uh, we... We figured out how to coexist with one another, right? Um, there, there are clashes, there are issues, right? It had never been like one unified country, but, um, in the, in the meshing of, uh, different cultures. Uh, so in Southeast Asian culture, you'll see a lot of Greek influence. You'll see Egyptian influence, right? Uh, but what we don't often notice, and I think this is a result of, uh, our colonial past is we were kind of made to forget, right? Like, oh, up until, up until we came to civilize you, you didn't exist. So like, no, we actually mm-hmm. did exist. And, uh, Nassim Taleb has some great, you know, philosophies around this. Nassim Taleb has a really good, uh, explanation of this. He says, look back at how long something's lasted and you can kind of project forward and say, you know, does this thing have lasting power? So while there, it may not be, have been the modern definition of a nation state or of a people, but culturally, I think Southeast Asian culture is one of the, great cultures of the world. And I don't think yeah. you can go anywhere without really feeling the impact. And while while there was colonization and there was some revisionism in, in history, right? You, some of the pluralistic things that we see around the world, like I see Desis in Italy or Europe, wherever you go, right? Um, and you realize, you know, that's actually Indian or that's actually traditional culture that survived. Right. Um, cause I think these folks realized it was a lot better to just build together than to destroy each other. The pacifism, mm-hmm. right? There, there's, uh, there's aggression too, but it's, it's really not a culture defined by aggression. It's one yeah. that's a lot more patient. Right. Um, and I think well, given the bureaucracy, a, I don't think you have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that has a lot, like that worldview has a lot to contribute to the future, right? Of the mm-hmm. future of us. Uh, Tamim Ansari wrote this amazing book called The History of Us, where he examines like all of the different cultures and how it's kind of melded together to this mm. one global culture that we have, right? Um, I, I look forward to a future where Bollywood has a lot more impact on the world because it, yeah. it really is, you know, on the down low, it really is. 
Well, what's funny about that is if you even look at sort of Netflix now, you're starting to see it sort of come in like they're doing, you know, Bollywood produced stuff all in English. And they're also pushing boundaries in terms of what would be considered acceptable. There's a show eternally confused and eager for love. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, this would have never aired in India 10 years ago. Um, it's much more progressive. They like cover topics that like just would have been taboo in the past. But one thing I wonder, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you probably grew up in the 90s as, as I did. I'm 45 now. So one of the things that I noticed uh, when I went back to India in 2018 after about 11 years uh, was a, a big distinction between like when my parents were there was that there was a sense of upward mobility that just wasn't there before. Like you were seeing like, wait a minute, it's like these are the kids from the slums and these are the ones who are becoming billionaires. This is crazy because I think that was one thing I, I realized when my parents were giving us career advice, I, which I always thought was narrow-minded, I realized it was based on the context of when they grew up um, because upward mobility just didn't exist in the way it does for this generation. I mean, I don't know if that was your experience. I'm wondering if you could kind of comment on that. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a little while since I've been back to Bangladesh. You know, most of my family actually migrated to the States. I have thousands and thousands of family members, um, you know, in, and I'm not exaggerating the number <laughs> in Dallas, in, uh, in the Northeast. Most of my family left. Um, so we went to Bangladesh when my stepdad passed away. Um, and then in 2011 was the last time. But the feeling that I got was like, I felt like I was going to a European city. Lots of high rises, right? Just, it was bizarre. Uh, it was like a much more advanced country. Um, very different. A lot of brown people, but I definitely did not feel like, you know, Hey, I'm going home. Like, you know, I belong. I, I don't think I could, I could fit there. I could live there. Like for yeah. me, my cultural home is Jackson Heights in New York. Well, you know what? What's funny is I remember one of my podcast listeners. She took me to a place in India, some uh, place in Delhi called Cyberhub, and you know, outside of it looked like typical India, right? Like you know, auto rickshaws and all this other stuff, kind of like disorganized. When we walked inside, I said, "You know what?" I'm like, the only thing that makes me realize I'm in India here is the fact that there are brown people everywhere. Other than that, this looks like any American office complex. In fact, it's nicer than most of the American office complexes I've seen. That really blew my mind that it was that westernized. Um, you mentioned thousands of relatives. I got to ask, how, how many people do you have to invite to your wedding? Uh, I actually had to have multiple. Uh, because, not <laughs> multiple of the same person. <laughs> because it didn't make sense. I was living in Florida. Um, uh, or actually, we were doing the event. So we did one in the Northeast. We did, did one in, uh, in Florida. We did, uh, did one in Dallas. Like, it I, was I easier that way. Well, right? My sister married a Bengali guy. So you can imagine my parents have been in Southern California for 30 years. His family had been in Chicago for 40 years. And I remember my sister for a while was like, I don't want a typical shitty wedding venue. I want something cool and unique. And I was like, unless you're planning on excavating the Titanic, I don't know how the hell you're going to find that without spending a fortune. So two, two wedding receptions. I remember by the time we got to May, I was like, I love you guys. I get it. I'm so happy this whole wedding thing is over because it was like a six month ongoing wedding. Oh yeah. 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 I, I don't think most folks realize like how elaborate Southeast Asian weddings can be. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, you mentioned your wife is Thai. So one thing I always wonder about is when people marry from two different cultures, uh, and I don't know if you have kids, um, but how you think about sort of preserving aspects of both your heritages and culture in the way that you live your lives. And if you have kids, raise those kids. Um, 
It's it's been interesting because uh, you know we speak in English, and I don't know if we've done a really good job of preserving culture. Uh, more rather realizing that you know culture, like language, is a living thing. Things change. So mm-hmm. there was actually a unique, uniquely American, you know, Southeast Asian experience that I think my kids are very much a part of. That I think myself, my wife, are a part of. Right, but it's it's really the American experience, right? Because the American experience isn't uh, a particular experience. It's the experience of coming together with people. Yeah. So, I, and it takes a lot of work to keep up with that, right? <laughs> so now there's yeah. geek culture and everything else. So we try to, we try to recognize all of it, but I think, um, I think the preservation, not so much like the preservation, but looking forward to what's the best that we can take from our lessons. You know, the same way, like you're, uh, you're reflecting on your parents and the advice that they gave you, right? And recognizing that the advice was based on their time, right? Um, mm-hmm. Are you a parent yourself? No, I'm not. Okay. So like, I have a, well, a, I have a one, one year old nephew. That's about as close to it as I've gotten. Yeah. yeah so like when you're a parent, like uh, w- one of the things that I realized was like, oh my God, they were making it all up. Right. We, we, we think our parents, they just knew everything. Right. Yeah. And as a parent, I'm like. Crap, I make half of this up. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm talking to like, like, let's huddle here. Right? Well, what the it's funny you do? say that. Because my parent, you know, the, like, my sister has been going through all this, like, sleep training and all this stuff with my nephew for a little bit. He, like, went, we, we traveled a lot, so his sleep got all disrupted. And my parents were just like, my dad is like, why don't you just let him stay up if he wants to stay up? Because I was thinking about that, right? Like, my sister has access to the internet communities of other parents, like, resources that, like, our parents literally didn't have any access to. So at least they have some knowledge they're going into. I, I was like, wow, you guys really did not know what the hell you were doing, did you? They're like, we didn't have a clue. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's the craziest thing. I've been thinking about it very deeply because even with, uh, uh, even with, uh, my kids, they're, they're getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize that there's a generational divide and we don't really understand them. Like we don't really understand their reality that they live in. One that's always had social media. One that's mm-hmm. always had the phone, right? Um, it's it's a very different reality. They're a lot more connected uh, yeah. to this globalized, you know, worldview than than I am, than we were. And the future that they're going to face is significantly different. And there's there's the entire parenting industry, right? And I, I just wondered, like, we have guidelines for everything, right? We have guidelines for you know how to live a good life, how to be a good stoic, whatever, right? All the way from Marcus Aurelius to, to now, to Nietzsche, right? You have philosophy and thoughts. And I, w- I wondered, like, why is all the parenting stuff like from 20 years ago, right? <laughs> from some popular psychologist, right? Uh, and the r- big realization I came up to is like, there, it won't work. It wouldn't work because the world changes so drastically. Your parents are an insanely important part of helping you grow and survive in your current reality. And that reality is always freaking changing, right? Mm -hmm. So if you got, you know, advice from someone, you know, 700 years ago, they'd tell you, like, be really good at your studies and learn how to dance, right? If you were in Southeast Asia, right, it was a very, uh, very different culture, right? You'd optimize for different things. So it's crazy, but parenting... Is one of those great challenges for human beings that every every generation we kind of have to figure out a lot of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of the future, 
Um, walk me through the career trajectory that has led you into uh, the world that you're in today and, and you know, building tech products with AI. Um, I think I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I have a, you know, I got to experience two different worlds. Uh, I've always been a geek. Uh, and I think in uh, Southeast Asia, this is a lot more common. That's why you see, you know, uh, you see a lot of brown folks in tech, right? Uh, because culturally, that's something that was prized. Like knowledge is prized. Like uh, scientists are celebrated or were celebrated at least, right? Um, and as a result, I've always, um, I've always dabbled in different things. Uh, as a ch- growing up in Bangladesh, I was actually an actor, um, and singer. Uh, I was like a little child star. And that was, that was very interesting. But at the same time, I was a geek. Once I came to America, I was able to kind of completely shed that and not have that anymore. All of a sudden, I was an immigrant, you know, working on the streets. Um, and I got to learn about resilience. I got to learn about, you know, many different things. But I really leaned in more and more to the technical side. Um, I enjoyed it when I was at Cornell. I, I really just geeked out because, uh, you know, how many engineers have access to a particle accelerator, right? Uh, one of my crowning achievements uh, in my NASA work was, you know, doing this cosmic ray correction. And the reason we were able to correctly build algorithms to correct cosmic rays in an outer space uh, uh, telescope is because we were able to generate cosmic rays in our particle accelerator in our backyard. Like, like I talk about it now, it feels like a, you know, it feels like a, a Disney story or something. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think it just comes from being a geek, uh, being a geek who was, who wasn't told that it is not cool to be a geek, right? Being a geek who was also a designer, right? Uh, who mm-hmm. was also artistic and, uh, it, it it actually had been pretty difficult to fit in, even among engineers that grew up here, right? Because uh, they'd be like, "You're geek, but like, you don't you don't fit the mold, right?" Um, because I was fitting to a slightly different mold. Uh, eventually, um, eventually, like, I got the entrepreneurial bug um, more from more from needing it, needing money, right? Being mm-hmm. a broke immigrant uh, student. Uh, I had to work multiple jobs and eventually I started a little shop uh, at the Cayuga Mall in Ithaca where I sold incenses and oils. So I found out the hard way how to build a business and how, how inventory works, how just in time manufacturing. So I started taking like business courses just so that like I could make sense of it all. And, uh, I was actually really ashamed of that part of me. And that's the cultural part, right? Because uh, uh, even my dad was like, "You're an engineer. Why are you doing this? Like, what's this hustler part of you, right?" Um, and I was really ashamed of it. So I had, I've always had like a little bit of a side hustle. I was selling cars online, right? Um, so you know how Shift and all these other companies uh, are selling cars online. So back in college, I was just buying and selling cars on eBay. Um, I just really enjoyed the the process, and uh, I. St- Started working, I moved to Florida. Uh, I was working for the DOD there um, after NASA. And one of my friends flew down and he saw my online car selling business that I had on the side. Um, and it was doing like a little over a million a year. And this was like completely on the side. You know, hired my first employee there. And he goes to me, he goes, how come you're not doing a tech startup? And up until that moment, like, you know, 
these two parts of my brain were completely isolated from one another. <laughs> right? Like this was like my secrets, uh, you know, uh, secret life that I didn't talk to most people about. Right. Uh, and it just occurred to me like, Hey, I could take this tech stuff that I do and the business stuff that I do. I could put it, I could put it together. Um, so I was fortunate enough to work in a bunch of startups that did really well. Uh, and, uh, that's sort of how I stumbled on, you know, my own startup. And I was in Florida at the time. So, um, I got to look at my situation there. There, there wasn't really like a venture capital, um, uh, ecosystem there. So bootstrapped my company and used machine learning to basically make millions. Um, and the way we did it, like, was really dumb. Uh, I, I was hanging out with a friend of mine. Of course, here comes a brown card again. It was a dentist, right? Uh, my best friend from college is a dentist. So I'm hanging out with my friends who are doctors and dentists. I was thinking about building an electronic health record system, you know, because how else do you show that you're a badass engineer? Um, and then I realized he had a, you know, $3,000 check for yellow pages on his desk. And, you know, being very daisy, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Right. And he's like, this mm-hmm. is how I get my patients. Uh, so I had to prove to him that he was wrong and he's a horrible person for destroying the environment. Right. Uh, I tracked his marketing. He was actually spending $6,000 a month. So I tracked all of his marketing. And I listened to phone calls over three months, over a thousand phone calls. I don't, he only got 56 phone calls from the yellow pages. So, I, and I recorded the phone calls, trans, transcribed them, you know, classified them. And I sat down with him and I was like, here, here's irrefutable proof that, you know, your yellow pages doesn't work. You know, most of your clients, they come from, uh, you know, they come from your SEO and from the AdWords, right? And what do you know? That, that becomes a business. He turns to me and he goes, are you going to be my marketer? And I was very offended by that, actually. I was like, don't you dare call me a marketer. He's like, I'll give you the six grand. It's like, okay, fine. I'll take the money. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know enough to not turn, not turn down money. So I took the money. I hired somebody um, in the Philippines uh, who still works with me today, until today uh, across multiple companies. And I was like, hey, he, I have this thing, the system that I built. You just look at the thing that works and you, know, you adjust the AdWords based on that. And he referred me to two other people who like ambushed me at a Thanksgiving, uh, at a Thanksgiving party. And then after that, like this became a business. Like I'm making, you know, I have like monthly recurring revenue and I'm not proud of this thing, right? It's not fancy enough. Um, and then somebody else was like, like, dude, just take, take good enough, right? <laughs> a lot of people would kill to have revenues like you have and people are just knocking down your door. Uh, so. Within, uh, you know, uh, within like a year or so, we were, we were doing crazy amounts of money and it was, it was a really simple problem, right? From a machine learning perspective, it's just, uh, you know, attribution, marketing attribution for dentists. Mm-hmm. And who would have known, right? That's, uh, that would be something that's useful. I sold that company in 2018, moved to the Bay Area and ended up selling that company to a dental marketing, uh, company. And, uh, I just, I just couldn't shake the fact that there was so little machine learning that we used to basically mm-hmm. help these dentists make an extra $400,000, uh, uh, per year, you know, on average. Yeah. How much more value is locked in a business? You know, how much more efficiency could you help unlock for entrepreneurs, for business people, right? If you controlled more of the communication stack, if you could apply artificial intelligence on more of the business, right? So that was, that was the motivation 
behind what I'm doing now, which is Yobi. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd become an investor for a little while, and I was like, no, this isn't as much fun as like building stuff. So I decided that I was going to build a brain in the cloud, right, an AI agent that could potentially help run your business better than you can, and of course, focus on marketing, sales, customer service. And when I told people about it, uh, they they basically like laughed at me, <laughs> right? They're like, if you were really smart, you'd be in crypto. And I'm like, I actually can do cryptography, and no, I'm not getting into it, right? This is I see opportunity here. You know, I've been around the block enough times with enough startups. I understand what this is, so I will fund it myself if I have to. And lo and behold, you know, uh, this was 2019. So 2019 was the right time to be working on AI agents, which are all the rage now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. 
Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm hmm. No. Well, you know what? Um, for the sake of context, I want to bring back a clip from a conversation I had with uh, my friend Julian Smith because I think it'll make an interesting segue to talking about the future. Take a listen. Technology is a series of Jenga blocks that build on top of each other, and each Jenga block is necessary for the next Jenga block to exist, but we can't predict what will happen ahead of time. But we always have to be saying, oh, here's this new tool. What does this new tool allow me to do over and over and over and over again? So, you know, he's talking about technology being a series of Django locks because Julian is very good at identifying sort of what future implications of current technologies are. And I think that when we're talking about the things you're talking about, they're vast, um, not just for the future of work, but uh, for our lives in general. So how is this going to affect us potentially in ways that we don't even realize yet? Because I think that there are sort of two camps in AI that I'm finding, at least. There are those who are like me who are like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then there are people who are like, this is the scariest thing. Yeah, so it's scary because it's it's new, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's also really exciting, right? New things appear scary to us because we don't know them. Um, and this might just be like the immigrant in me, right? Like, drop me halfway across the world. I'll find it exciting. And it is also scary, right? Um, what's, what's exciting is that you can look back and see what, you know, things change, but they don't change like that much that you can't, you can't tell what, what's going to happen at all, right? Um, so if you look at the industrial revolution, that, that sparked huge changes in the world, right? There were the people who understood it, who adopted it, and others who didn't. Um, so right now, the fundamental change that's happening is the augmentation of like human capital in a way that we haven't ever really imagined. The same way factories augmented and basically changed how manual labor is done. It hasn't done away with manual labors completely. Like that's not what happened, right? We just got augmented. So we're able to feed more people. People don't starve to death. When I was growing up, there was, there was actual famines and I watched people starve to death. It's the most horrible feeling in the world. And everybody was saying but that in 20 to 30 years, like there would be mass starvations across the world. The reason that didn't happen is because as much as we hate the big farming equipment, that saved us, right? The technology really saved us. It really unlocked potential in humanity that allowed us to do more mental things. Here, I think it's going to unlock our potential, even mentally, when we do all these, you know, things that are just drudgery. Um, it'll, it'll unlock value in brand new ways. Uh, mm -hmm. there'll be, I, I expect more entrepreneurship. Of course, times of change are always tumultuous. Uh, but afterwards, we can genuinely have a world of abundance where, you know, if we just look at what, what are our core values, what do we want to optimize, right? Uh, we can optimize for human happiness because that is one of the things that are, um, you know, that's one of the things that we don't often consider right now. We often optimize just for money or optimize mm -hmm. for, um, output. What if we could optimize for the fact that, you know, our lives aren't getting a heck of a lot longer. We could live more meaningfully. You know, only humans can really be more human, right? Um, yeah. So we can unlock, we can change how we live 
in a drastic way that we haven't thought of before. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many layers to what you're saying that we could do a three hour conversation about each one of those. I think, you know, this idea of human capital and you and I were talking about division of labor before and how I think that AI basically makes division of labor at scale accessible to the masses. Um, but this idea of human capital is really interesting to me because I was just like writing a note in my note taking app and I showed you the little task generation system that I built to like identify the most high impact. So I don't even think about what to work on every day now, which is amazing because every task is aligned with the goal that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, but the notion of human capital, I thought was really fascinating because I was sort of thinking about this as a, as a, a metaphor of like, you know, these huge companies, one of the things that has given them an advantage in the age of AI is data. And I realized for the individual that accessible knowledge, whether it's, you know, things like my transcript, my conversation with you, notes from all the books that I've taken, which I'm in a fortunate position of having this massive body of work, which gives me the ability to do things with AI that I don't think other people can do. And I realized I'm like, basically what data is to large organizations, knowledge is, is, is to the individual in the age of AI. But um, I want to hear your, your take on that. I think it's interesting because um, think about the large language models that exist right now, right? Um, yes, data is a moat, but, you know, you, you want to not sink in your own moats, right? Like you have mm-hmm. a ton of data, but you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to use it. I think people who, I think bias towards action for humans is still going to play an outsized role because look at what you've done with your data. You've actually done something with it, right? Yeah. If somebody's just sitting there hoarding data, like that in itself is worth something. It isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think what we're going to end up seeing is there's going to be some enterprises that adopt AI faster mm-hmm. and they're going to know how to utilize this technology while others, you know, will eventually be sold in chapter seven or something for someone else who wants some of that data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they weren't able to see that trend coming and they weren't able to take advantage of it. So like one, one simple thing that you could do right now, right? Um, like to scale yourself, to scale that human capital, like, Here's me speaking in Italian, right? So I can only speak English. I don't speak Italian. I always wanted to, but here's that. So, <laughs> right? So I imagine being what you're able talking to, about. <laughs> so imagine being able to do that and have much greater reach for, uh, for your podcast, right? It's or, funny that you say that. Because we literally contacted, uh, Heijin is the company that makes that. Uh, I contacted them immediately and I was like, wait, we've been looking for some way to do this. And they're like, our model doesn't accommodate one hour conversations just yet. They're like, get back in touch with us. I'm like, let me know as soon as possible. Cause I, I, I realized we, we should chat. Ago, we, can, we should chat. You can okay. actually be way longer than one hour. We've done okay. Because more. I, I saw that a long time ago and I thought to myself, I'm like, the most underrated underrated growth hack for us would be to literally be like, if we can get Hindi, Spanish, and Chinese, we would basically like expand our reach across the globe. Oh, yeah. So if you if you looked at my LinkedIn or if you looked at most of my social media, pay closer attention. That's my synthetic agent. That's my digital clone. Yeah. It's not me. Oh, right? wow. You got you to gotta tell us how to build that. Now, let's talk about that. How do you build... I mean, I, I created one with um, Delphi. Oh, by, like, by the way, that's Joby. That's exactly our philosophy is like every human being, every professional is going to be accompanied by their synthetic agent 
and you, my synthetic agent would help me become a better CEO. So it allows me to pitch more. It allows me to produce more content in my voice based on my knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And you can do that. Like you said, you have all of these podcasts. What's the knowledge in all of those podcasts, right? What well, if you I've, could talk- I've uploaded it to multiple AI models to see. Right. Like then you're able to really extract value, right? Mm-hmm. So like chat GPT itself is like trained on thousands of years of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. No human being can ever come close to like really distilling all that, but this AI can now help us do that, right? So I can become a physicist and have, you know, Einstein level knowledge, not processing power necessarily, but knowledge, right? Access mm-hmm. to this AI professor that can help me in my research, that can help me in my growth and education. So we're about to get into a very crazy, very exciting time in human history. Um, yeah. And we're, we're doing just like the business part of that, right? Uh, so my AI synthetic agent pitches. It, it can also generate podcasts, multiple agents, right? Um, and my mom listened to one of those podcasts and said, you know, how, how come you have so much time to be in all these podcasts? I was like, mom, that, that wasn't me. Right. <laughs> She's like, what do you mean that was not you? It's like, no, that's not me. Right. Um, but that does represent me. The things that my agent says is, is what I've said. Right. Uh, the best part is a lot of people reached out to me for advice on entrepreneurship, you know, which books to read. And, uh, we trained the AI on my conversations. Right. So it assesses the other person and it actually answers and recommends the books correctly which is crazy yeah like when you experience it it's it's one thing to theoretically know it could do that it's a different thing when it's actually giving advice to people reaching out to me right um on the entrepreneurial path or something how do you how do we how do i access this (laughs) that's my first question i'm sure people are thinking wait a minute seriously like because i i had delphi build me a version and it's good. I yeah. mean, it's better than the one that my I ask AI did. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I was like, it's talking a little too much like a surfer dude because they use my book transcripts. Um, but is this is this what Yobi does? Like, I could literally have this synthetic agent basically deal with my social media. Uh, so we did not release the social media one because you can imagine, right? You can create voices, you can synthesize yeah. voices, and it's very sophisticated, right? So we eat our own dog food first, right? We eat our yeah. own dog food. We understand. You know, I'm a product guy, right? And I understand what the implications are if you release it just out to the wild without thinking about it. And this mm-hmm. is where like AI safety actually matters. So we do, we do build digital agents for folks who understand that this is, you know, early tech, that they're going to be responsible, right? Uh, if it says anything that it shouldn't say, right? So, but we do have a limited release of it out to, uh, to, to certain folks and organizations. We're working with enterprises on it. Uh, but yeah, it's not it's not publicly accessible. But right now, okay. if you get Yobi, you get some of the AI features, but not mm-hmm. the uh, you know. I guess I'm I'm playing a little bit of a, the Elon Musk, where I have like God mode on Yobi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Right? If you're a gamer, right? This is like the great pleasure in life. Totally. Like, totally. As a geek, I get to have stuff uh, and really play with it. It comes with its it comes with its pitfalls too. Yeah. So where can people download the tool, like the one that is available? Is you just go to Yobi.app. You just go to Yobi.app. Okay. We wanted really yeah, simple. We, we yeah. wanted to make it, uh, we wanted to make it such that you'd start conversing with it. You can connect any of your social media channels to it and start talking to your customers. And okay. it learns passively. Like when I'm, like you're an early adopter, right? You will adopt things yeah. very quickly. 
But I'm going to go try it right. I actually signed up for it just before we hit before we hit record. I didn't have time to finish the sign up process. <laughs> nice, um, but most folks they needed to be easy, right? They needed to they need the workflow to be something that's familiar, especially the folks with the money. To be honest with you, right? Yeah. If you're here, uh, you know, if you're if you're running a company, you're not gonna you know you're like, oh my god, I got to go learn this new interface. Like, no, you don't. You download it, looks just like your phone, super easy. It'll make your life easier, right? Uh, and it just learns. It just starts actively learning from you. For enterprise deployments, we do it a little bit differently where we go and, you know, get their information and we uh, actively train the sense a lot faster. Mm-hmm. But once, uh, once you get into like a co-pilot mode, it's able to start answering questions on your behalf. And that's where the training happens, right? You go, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I would say, right? So imagine... Uh, how Apple, you know, it starts predicting what you're going to say. We're just like a thousand times better than Apple. Also Amazing. because we're constrained, right? We're not talking to everyone. This is specifically mm-hmm. for B2B, like, or it's specifically for you to talk to your customers, right? Right. It's not a privacy focused app. It's more about transparency, being able to share with your teammates. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, um, I think that, uh, I don't know if you read Cal Newport's book, A World Without Email, but right when I saw, like, oh, yes. just going through the, the process, I was like, wait a minute, you're an antidote to the hyperactive hive mind that he's talking about. Yes. So that was the whole thing. Like, how do you detach from the, the hyperactive hive mind? Build a synthetic agent that's a machine that can basically deal with machines appropriately. Yeah. Right. So totally. I see, I see probably one to 2% of the emails that I get every day. And I think wow. I get around. 4,000 emails a day. And Amazing. my AI goes through all of them right now. And I get, you know, like, like a very tiny fraction even like makes it before my eyes. Yeah. Um, again, this is, these are like the early innings, right? So you have mm-hmm. to make sure that it actually works. We eat our own dog food. We don't just throw it out and release it. Yeah. Cause we understand that if it's not, if it's not amazing, it's going to have a real world impact on your business, right? And we, mm-hmm. we want it so that once you adopt our technology, the value is just so obvious, right? It, it, you see that 10x or 100x or 1000x improvement. Um, and then you choose us to be your partners in AI going forward. I love that. I mean, I, you know, it, it's, I have a, a friend who got a PhD in AI from Berkeley. Like he's a total weirdo. Like we always joke, we're like, you know, Chathan will either be the next Steve Jobs or start a cult, probably both. Um, but he has this like thesis because he'd called me about starting a podcast and he I was like, what do you want? He's like, I actually believe that AI could be the solution to so many of like pretty much all of our problems as a human. And I was like, that's a really bold thesis. But I mean, I think that you sort of hinted at the idea of, you know, AI being a facilitator or, or sort of a precursor to global abundance. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just most recently with what's going on in the world, right? It's very, like if you're opening social media, it's like heart-wrenching, right? Um, with my AI in the loop, one of the most useful things that's done is stopped me from responding, right? Yeah. Like, so when I say, when I type something and I'm angry, it stops. <laughs> wow. It oversees and manages me and says, you probably don't want to send this. This does not align with your core values of putting positivity out into the world. This is not going to, right? Uh, so, so it's like the, the, like somebody who said, it's like basically the thing that keeps you from sending a drunk text. Exactly. So we have that. We have like this text reformulation. It'll, it'll pick up when you're upset, right? Because 
think about this. This thing is, this thing is the perfect executive, right? Never gets upset, never gets angry. But at the same time, I still bring something to the table. The, the mm-hmm. passion, uh, you know, the humanity is still extremely valuable. So it's a symbiotic relationship that we have. Yeah. And I think, I think he's right, you know, and, and that's the reason why it's kind of crazy that, uh, some people are claiming it, right? But mm-hmm. if you're a real geek, man, you got to be doing it. I'm doing it. And so well, far, it's, it's been funny. Amazing. Yeah. So I, I think it's you, the, the idea of the symbiotic relationship is really, really vital for people to understand. Because like I, I wrote this book called The Artificially Intelligent Creative that I self-published. Um, and one of the realizations as Mem has like put in these chat features, I realized I was like, the key here is to treat this thing as a partner, not a tool. And mm-hmm like literally every day when I go through my daily planning, I was like, you know what? I'm like, let's take this from being just a task planning function to making it reflective and useful. So I literally spend an hour every day having a chat with this AI that has access to literally my entire knowledge base, like every all my transcripts, all the book notes. And I think in the span of an hour yesterday, I generated potential ideas for a PhD thesis. If I wanted to do a PhD, we came up with an idea for a new book to write. Um, about, you know, the importance of like thinking in the age of AI and how critical thinking is going to matter. Um, like I was like, I want to do a book that's not about AI tactics, one that's timeless. And I need you to, it, it literally, I was like, take the book notes that we have from Perennial Seller, build a model so that it fits all the criteria that Ryan Holiday talks about in Perennial Seller. And let's save that as a model that we can reuse. Um, and it was just as fascinating as, you know, I was like, wow, this all happened in the span of like a 45 minute, like, you know, conversation with AI over a couple of glasses of wine. Uh, and I think that there, there's one of my cousins when I was writing that book, we were talking about, you know, sort of communicating with AI. He said, well, he's like, at the end of the day, 50% of this still all depends on human input, right? It's what you put into it that's going to determine mm-hmm. what you get out. And I realized that like being a creative person who spent years writing was this huge advantage in the age of AI because I could like I like when I here's the funny thing I, I realized was the biggest key that people because I've seen people get into an AI tool and they get frustrated when it doesn't give them what they want. And anytime that happens to me, I basically say, OK, look, this is what I'm looking for. How should I have phrased this so that you give me the output? Or if it takes like six iterations, I'm like, OK, how should I have phrased the original prompt so that you gave me what you just gave me on the first one? So we didn't have to go through the iterations and I'll just rebuild based on that. So I just keep a running library of all the things that work. It's amazing to just listen to you, right? Because this is what I'm talking about. Most people don't, most people don't like really get how it's disruptive, but how it's also incredible and how it's that human ingenuity, right? You're looking at language models and you are innovating, right? You, you didn't stop innovating. You're keeping lists. You're innovating in ways that probably the designers of MEM never imagined. No, I'm sure right. they didn't. Because like I said, I came up with that task model based on, you know, a conversation I had with Julian Smith, who was mentoring me, Victor Chang's book, Extreme Revenue Growth. And I was like, okay, these are the criteria. These are the goals. Let's use the criteria and goals. And I want you to build a model for me to plan tasks. Then I had a client who I was migrating his notes from Evernote to Mem. And I started noticing a pattern in how he organized his research for his books. And I was like, okay, this is how he organizes every book into five or six different categories. I was like, let's do this. Let's build a model for him to generate a table of content synopsis just from all the notes that are tagged with those. And we built that in 30 seconds. Right. That, that, that is super cool. By the yeah. way, once generative AI kind of like showed its, uh, showed its capabilities, I took all of my notes off of anything like Notion. 
Mm. Like we have our own custom tools for everything. Yeah. Because you understand like this opens up the Pandora's box, right? Mm -hmm. Any text that you've written out there, like Gmail probably has a bigger data set than anybody else on you and probably could replicate you in your entire life's journey. If you've been using Gmail for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Could replicate your conversations and relationships better than anyone else, right? The thing that hasn't existed is actual understanding of language, but that exists now, man. And it's getting, it's getting better exponentially. Yeah. I, I'm seeing it day by day. And, you know, I saw the GPT-4 release and the ability to upload documents. And I was like, wait a minute, this is insane. I'm like, now I'm like, okay, I need you to build, like, I literally was like, I need to build an unmistakable creative GPT just to deal with all the bullshit tasks. And it's doing it so fast. I'm like, this is amazing. Um, but I feel like you and I could talk all day about this stuff. I mean, there's probably, you know, like the whole idea of building a world of abundance using AI. So one, you know, let's talk about one last thing. I think let's talk about how this is going to impact education, because I think that I'm seeing again, you know, you you have this sort of very polarized view where some teachers are like, this is the worst thing ever. Cause my dad, uh, he just retired and you know, he was basically asking me, he's like, okay, he was like, have JetGPT generate the, in my intro to virology syllabus. And like, I don't know a damn thing about virology. I just said, hey, my dad's a professor. He's at Riverside. Do this. And he was like, wait, you did that while you're watching TV? I was like, yeah. Um, and so I told him, I was like, look, I'm like, your students are going to use this anyway. So why not make it part of the curriculum? So he actually gave them an assignment uh, where their you know, assignment was basically to use AI to simulate potential cures for viruses because it's a virology class. And I told him, I was like, that's the way we got to think about this in my mind. But I mean, you're more of a, a technical expert than I am. So like, what is, what does this mean for our education system? So education is actually one of our big focuses. Uh, I pulled my kids out of school earlier this year because I don't think our current education system is really going to serve our children well. Uh, the reason behind it is it's, it's very much the remnants of an industrial revolution inspired world. I know I sound very mm-hmm. polarizing, but, you know, kind of put my money where my mouth is. So we have a team of folks that have started working on, you know, what would the edu- future of education look like? And I volunteered uh, my children because I'm very, very confident on this. Um, as, as I think you will understand, right? So you now have access to this thing, right? That's, that's insanely smart. That's insanely powerful, right? Does that mean you can be dumb? No, it doesn't. Yeah. But does that mean that maybe you should pursue your PhD and your interest in music and your interest in virology? Maybe, right? Maybe you can be more than one thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't need to spend years, right, memorizing times tables. Instead, it's better to understand the theory so you know the questions to ask so that you can solve the real world problems with this very new kind of tool that exists, right? And it'll be like, you know, computers are awesome, but remember, like, there used to be typists not that mm-hmm. long ago. That was a profession, right? Yeah. Computers, like, if you called us modern day typists, that would, you'd laugh, right? I think that's unfortunately what we're training our children to do is we're training them to be modern day type or typists because the future is just so radically different. We need to look at education and how we raise children. Um, in a future where it's the paradigms are not going to be like those of today, right? Yeah. Um, and equip them so they can be successful 
in that paradigm. That's a really big ask, by the way, right? That's yeah. a really crazy thing and scary <laughs> thing to ask any parent. But at least if you're an AI, if you're like as knee deep in it as I am, you know, it's, uh, it's really obvious, right? So it's been only a few months, uh, that my children have been doing this other curriculum and they've skipped, like they've gone even beyond their grade work, like significantly mm-hmm. beyond, you know, the one who's supposed to be doing like basic science has like finished essentially high school physics. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's modeled differently, just like, you know, how you kind of play with your AI, right? I think, uh, if you really want people to become autodidacts, you have to customize the curriculum to them and, mm-hmm. you know, customize the growth and nurturing plan to that individual, as opposed to just, you know, saying, Hey, everybody like eat your rock. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far the results are absolutely astounding. Um, and I think. I think there's going to be a lot more uh, around mm-hmm. this. The main concern that I have is the speed of AI. Uh, I, I've lived through, you know, the tech revolution as, as you've lived through, right? You remember, remember the corded phones, man? Yeah. Right. Remember VCRs and cassette tapes? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> I remember those. And I just look back and go, holy crap. Like within my life, this insane amount of change has happened to humanity. Yeah. Right. And it's accelerating, right? Uh, that could be a really destabilizing force for the world unless we proactively, uh, under, you know, educate and equip our children to deal with that future. That's mm-hmm. going to be very different. And I think being at the forefront of it, you understand that. You understand that if you were teaching your nephew how to use it, right? Teach them how to use language models, understand it, right? Uh, what are the things that they're really interested in? Have them understand those subjects deeply instead of just memorizing things, right? And then at the end of it, your career might be, you know, doctor, researcher, scientist, uh, and a bunch of different things, and maybe even politician by the time you're mm-hmm. right? How you live your life fundamentally can be different. But I think their generation is going to have something really exciting because you'll get to build all of these things, kind of like how you're building, right? You realize you have an unfair advantage over 99% of the world or more, yeah. right? Because you understand the tech. Just because you understand the tech, you get to build, I get to build, right? It's like knowing that the internet is coming and I could build Amazon, I could build Google. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is as profound and deep. I, I'm sure you probably saw it. Sam Altman, uh, I think, did an interview with CBS News about OpenAI. And he was talking about, you know, how we taught math, you know, before calculators. And basically calculators meant that, you know, math had to be taught in a new way. But I think the thing that he said that really struck me in that interview was that he said one thing that AI allows is for a Socratic method uh, of learning, uh, where you can actually go deep on a topic. To your point, like we're not just memorizing facts. Like we can go in. I remember I was like, one day I was like, okay, can you explain the financial crisis to me like a, a five-year-old? And it did. And I was like, okay, great. And so then I started asking more adult-like questions. I was like, okay, now, funny enough, despite how much I, I'd seen about it and read about it, I didn't really understand the underlying forces behind it, um, even though I was right. affected by them. But the fact that we can go that deep, I think, is is really you know powerful. In fact, right before our interview, I was like trying to find information on you and Mem. GP uh, chat agent didn't come up. And then I went to chat. She was like, can you just generate a brief on Amadreza for me? <laughs> like, 
give me the details on him for our conversation. I was like, okay, good. I, I know enough because usually like I'll have read somebody's book, but you know, you didn't write a book right. yet. So I was like, okay, well, I just need a, a pre. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, that really blows my mind that, that we have gotten there. But, uh, in the interest of time, uh, I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think just like knowing yourself, right? Reflecting and really being confident in that. Like it doesn't, um, it doesn't really require for anyone else to recognize it, but yourself. If you're happy with it, if you're content, right? Um, and this is you, this is your manifestation, right? Um, that's all that matters. That's really all that's within our control. Beautiful. Well, um, like I said, this has been amazing, thought-provoking, and uh, insightful. Uh, where can people find out more about you, uh, your company, and everything else that you're up to? Uh, you can follow me on social media. Um, you can even text my synthetic agent directly at 402-698. Uh, hang on, I'll give you the phone number. <laughs> this is something nobody does, right? <laughs> you can actually send a text. It's 402-698-3599. And you can have a conversation with the synthetic version of me um, and ask specific questions. Or you can uh, go to yobi.app. You'll see what we have there. Uh, or check out my social social for the stuff that we're presenting. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.